0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back for the 25th episode of Take It or Leave It, where we discuss the hottest topics in the world of workplace leaves, absence management, and accommodations. I'm your host, Josh Seidman. Summer 2023 has officially come and gone. Football is back. Baseball playoffs are around the corner. So too are pumpkin spice lattes, Halloween parties, apple picking, fall foliage, and even Thanksgiving. Growing up in New York, I personally love the changing seasons and how each season has its own unique flair and characteristics and things to look forward to. But before we bid a final farewell to summer, it's worth a brief look back to many of the leave and accommodation developments that have taken place in recent months. The summer kicked off with two monumental developments. First was the Pregnant Workers' Fairness Act, which went into effect on June 27th. The PWFA, as is more commonly known, creates new rights to reasonable accommodation for employees and applicants who have physical or mental conditions arising from pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions. We covered the PWFA during episode 24 of Take It or Leave It. Since that time, the PWFA has been busy, it's continued to make headlines. Just last month, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, issued its highly anticipated proposed rule to implement the PWFA. Looking back to June, a few days after the PWFA went into effect on June 29th, the US Supreme Court issued its decision in Graf versus DeJoy. We discussed in episode 23 the impact that this decision has in terms of changing the standard employers must use when determining when a religious accommodation constitutes an undue hardship. Another huge development in the space. In July, the state of Maine made headlines when it enacted a statewide paid family medical leave program joining Minnesota, which had enacted its own statewide program just a few weeks earlier in late May. Oregon also had plenty of paid family leave activity throughout the summer. After multiple rounds of rulemaking in July and August, the Oregon Paid Family Medical Leave program, which is also known as Paid Leave Oregon, officially went live on September 3rd, meaning that eligible workers can now receive benefits under the program for their qualifying absences. And not to be outdone, the paid sick leave space also had plenty of activity. We saw amendments to the laws in Colorado and Oregon go into effect earlier this summer. Connecticut also enacted amendments to its paid sick leave law and those amendments begin on October 1st. On September 13th, the California State Legislature passed Bill SB 616, which is expected to become law in the coming days and would expand the state's existing paid sick leave mandate in significant ways, including on annual usage caps and its rolling accrual cap. And then just a couple of days later, on September 15th, New York City released final amendments to its paid sick leave rules. (laughs) So clearly, no summer vacations in the leaves and accommodation space. No time off here. Can't wait to see what the fall has in store for us. In the meantime, and as you all just heard, paid family medical leave continues to be a hot-button topic with many moving pieces. For today's episode, we're going to look at some important research involving paid family medical leave and bring you the latest on paid family leave at the federal and state levels. To help me deliver this news to you all, I am so thrilled and so honored to be joined by Ben Giddis from the Bipartisan Policy Center. Ben is Associate Director for Economic Policy at the Bipartisan Policy Center, or BPC, where he leads initiatives on workforce and paid family leave policy before joining BPC, He was deputy policy director on the team that helped Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, consider running for president of the United States. Before that, he was director of labor market policy at the American Action Forum, where he researched and wrote about paid family leave, the opioid crisis, the minimum wage, and immigration, among other topics. While at AAF, Ben was also a member of the American Enterprise Institute Brookings Institution Working Group on paid family leave. Ben's insights and research are regularly referenced by major media outlets, including The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Associated Press, Reuters, among others. He has appeared on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and local television and radio news programs across the country. Ben regularly advises members of Congress and their aides, and has testified before the House Small Business Committee on the opioid crisis. Ben received an MBA from the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business, and a BA from Davidson College, where he graduated magna cum laude with honors in economics. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to Take It or Leave It. Thank you for having me,
1: Josh. I'm glad to be here.
0: Me as well. It is always so great to speak to you, and uh, sorry for putting you through that lengthy intro there about the fun paid leave and accommodation stuff that happened this summer, but I, I know you've been on top of all that as well with, with all the moving pieces.
1: Oh, certainly.
0: Certainly have. Yep, and, and today I'm so excited for the episode. We have So many great topics to cover, and I think to get things started to kick off, can you tell us just a little bit about the BPC and your organization's involvement in the paid leave space?
1: Of course. So BPC is a bipartisan think tank based in Washington D.C., and our motto is to focus on the art of the possible. So we work to help lawmakers on both sides of the aisle work together to start tackling some of the most important issues in the country, but also come at it with the standpoint of if we can make some progress on an issue, but not necessarily get to the perfect solution, we see that as an important step forward in addressing issues. And we bring that to a wide variety of issues, including fiscal policy and the budget, healthcare, elections, energy policy. And I help lead our work on paid family leave. And in particular, several years ago, PPC launched its paid family leave team with a task force co-chaired by former Senators Rick Santorum and Chris Dodd, and former SBA Administrator Marias Contreras-Sweet. And our goal is to help lawmakers enact a federal paid family leave solution. Currently, we are working with lawmakers from a variety of perspectives to help them identify solutions that both expand access to paid family and medical leave, but also take step towards a larger federal solution.
0: Ben, that's wonderful. So much good information, good high level overview. I, I love the line, the art of the possible. It's a great catchphrase and, and, and focus point. And I really value the progress is an important step forward perspective as well that you mentioned. That that is, you know, a, a goal that things take a while. Baby steps, you know, is is movement. So it's it's a really good perspective to come at this. I'd like to spend the next few minutes talking about a report that the BPC uh, issued earlier this month. It was really fascinating. Heard you all speak about it, and I've read a lot of the materials. And the report sort of involved a survey of non-working Americans, right, with a focus on the need for paid family medical leave. So can you give us just an overview of the survey, when the results were issued, your organization's purpose and, and kind of objectives, goals in conducting the survey, and then the underlying data in terms of who was involved in in the survey and the polling.
1: Sure, so as many folks know, currently the economy is struggling from a significant labor shortage. Our labor market's very tight. We have 8.8 million job openings, which is a very high number, low unemployment, and labor force participation that is still depressed and has not recovered from the pandemic. So what we want to understand is, what is keeping folks from working today? And because this is something that lawmakers are currently prioritizing, bringing workers back into the labor force is a really important step to help boost economic growth, counteract inflation, and you know ensure we have strong, robust workforce going forward. And so we want to understand what is keeping folks out of the labor force and what solutions can help them return. So for our survey, we specifically focused on non-working adults under the age of fifty-four. So that's what we refer to as prime working age Americans, folks who are at an age who shouldn't be retired yet. And unless you have a physical disability or something else going on, most will be working. And for men in this category, their labor force participation rate has been declining for several decades. For women who are at their prime age years, it grew throughout the 70s and 80s, but then has stagnated, started in the mid-90s. And so we understand what is keeping those folks from working and what policy solutions can help them go back to work. So in our survey, we specifically did a sample of prime age men and women who are not working. And this included folks who are both considered out of the workforce. Those are folks who are not working and not looking for work. And it also included folks who are in the workforce, but are unemployed. So these are folks who are not working, but are looking for work. And overall, there's about 24 million Americans who are prime age and not working. Eighty-five percent of them, so the lion's share are folks who are out of the workforce. So they're not looking for work, but about fifteen percent of them are unemployed, and that's partly reflective of the fact that we have very low unemployment today.
0: Got it. Got it. Now that that's that's great, Ben. And just to make sure, I'm I'm following, and I, and I believe I am, but just to clarify for me and for the listeners. So the group that we're focused on today, in terms of the Americans who were involved in in the polling and in the surveys are these non-working Americans, these prime age non-working Americans who are either not actively looking for work or who are actively looking for work. But in any event, they are, they are all sort of unemployed in that prime age age range. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. And the majority of them are not looking for work. And mm-hmm. that's the group that we focus most on because that's the group that has been studied for years and face often the most significant barriers to the labor force.
0: Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. So I think then the next natural question, and and completely agree. I mean, the, the numbers that you are just rattling off uh, are are significant. Are, are are you know millions and millions of folks that we're talking about here, and and looking at plenty of groups, plenty of employers, different industries with with openings and and the need to get workers back into the labor force, but you know back off off couches and and, and into uh, and into sort of active employment. So my next natural question for you, you know, is What were some of the polls key findings in terms of why these individuals who were surveyed who are not actively employed today, what were some of the findings that y'all took from the results? And and how does this all tie back to the paid family medical leave space?
1: So the most important thing we found was the main reason that folks are not in the workforce. So this is the group, the 85% who are not working and not looking for work. They are mainly not working for either a caregiving reason they're caring for a child or an ill family member or a personal health condition and wow. in particular seven out of ten said that it was either caregiving or personal health is the main reason they're not working and that's very relevant because those are the very two issues that paid family medical leave is designed to help address to help folks be able to balance caring for a child or attending to your own personal health while being able to keep a job and it suggests that paid family and medical leave could play a pretty big role in helping these folks enter the workforce. Notably, we also found that only 3% are not working because they are having a difficult time finding a job. Sure. So this suggests that the whole idea of a discouraged worker is not a big factor for folks who are currently out of the workforce. A discouraged worker, I mean folks who are not working and not looking for work because they've just given up looking for work. That's a big factor in this population because the majority of them, it's really about caring for others or themselves.
0: hmm Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is very interesting. And it drives home, I think, this misconception, as you pointed out, that a big deterrent for rejoining the workforce is that the opportunities aren't out there, you know, and and, and that doesn't seem to be the case. It's that the benefit is the offerings that that are falling short of expectations and needs of workers. As you noted, it seems as though this group of respondents who are prime age, out of work, not actively looking for work, are not identifying hardship finding job opportunities as a thing that's keeping them out of the workforce. So just to clarify, right, it seems to be more of these core family medical leave reasons, my own medical needs as a worker, my need to care for others, child care, and so forth, Those seem to be the primary focus points for why they're remaining unemployed. Am I I correct in in just sort of restating all that?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And specifically, we found that 37% of folks who are out of the workforce say that caring for others is their main reason for not working. And Mm -hmm. an additional 35% said their own personal health is the main reason that they're not working. So combined, it's 72% of all prime age adults who are not in the workforce claim. A personal health or a caregiving reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are fascinating findings. Let, let me ask you this then, uh, sort of in, in a follow up. So, did the BPC polling and and, and the results that you all t- took from this this sort of this heavy lift and, and gargantuan uh, analysis, did you look into what benefits, what working conditions, might be the most impactful in terms of persuading prime-age non-working Americans to rejoin the workforce? Was there something, you know, at, at least that would get them to start considering, you know, hey, if, if this was an offering, that might get me to, to nudge forward to, to take an interview to apply for a new position?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because this brings me to what I believe is the second most important finding of the survey. And we asked the question of our respondents, what is the single most important benefit or working condition that would encourage you to go back to work. And what we found was for a large chunk of them, it was really about paid family leave or flexible work arrangements. And the two of those were basically just as important as compensation. So we asked our sample about a wide range of working conditions and benefits and then what would be most important for helping them go back to work. And what we found was that paid family and medical leave was virtually just as important as competitive pay or compensation. And to me, I found that very surprising because you think for a lot of folks, it comes down to the bottom line of just how much they're going to get paid. What our survey showed is that for this population, pay, family and medical leave is just as important. And even slightly more important than both of those was flexible work arrangements. At 19% saying that a flexible work arrangement, including the ability to work from home or have flexible schedule, was the single most important benefit to help them go back to work. So what this, to me, is showing is that this population of folks who are out of the workforce and are at their prime age, compensation is important for many of them, but for a much larger share, it's really about giving them the tools and benefits they need to be able to attend to their caregiving needs or their personal health needs, which they really need to prioritize. And benefits like paid family leave and flexible work, it can be something that they see as helping them be able to balance their own needs with the responsibilities of a job.
0: Wow. Wow, Ben, I, I am, I'm sure employers across many industries who are looking to bring on new talent in the coming months would find these results to be quite insightful in, in terms of revisiting some of their own offerings and, and, and benefit programs and leave programs. I, I'm curious, you, know, you you mentioned flexible work arrangements, paid family, medical leave as two of the sort of the, the most important considerations that were flagged uh, for this group of respondents when, when considering whether to return to work. Did paid sick leave show up in any measurable way in the polling in terms of a benefit that the same group of prime age, non-working Americans might value in weighing whether to come back to the workforce?
1: Yes. Paid sick leave came up. It wasn't quite as important as these other benefits, but 8% said paid sick leave was the single most important benefit to get them to come back to work. Mm-hmm. And by comparison, 15% said a paid family and medical leave was the single most important benefit. said pay, and 19% said a flexible work arrangement. So not quite as important as those other ones, but still among the top half of the most important benefits to get them to come back to work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I mean, you said this, made this point earlier, if you kind of smush some of those, the flexible work, the paid family leave, and even paid sick leave kind of together, I think the numbers, I don't want want to misquote, but I think that pushes one of those three things being over 40% of the, the overall, you know, what is the most important thing to getting back out there into the workforce flexibility in you know your work arrangement, paid family medical or paid sick, combine those together. That's, that's, that's a big percent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you put it like that over 40%, it's either about paid leave or a flexible work arrangement to be able to get folks back to work.
0: Yeah. It really, really, I mean, again, very important results and, and thank you for sharing them it, it's, it's something that you know I remember when 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 I sort of saw the report and, and started hearing uh, about the good work that BPC was doing some of these numbers were, were jumping out to me and, and like you said it is so counterintuitive to think that getting you know, the salary the bonus that the pay is being weighed in, in a way that is on par with and actually being superseded by you know, some of these concepts of paid time off and flexible work arrangements. Yeah, exactly. So, so Ben, let, let me ask you this. As you know, there are, you know, within the umbrella of paid family medical leave, there are various different qualifying absences. So, so we have bonding with a new child, family member caregiving, being out for the employee's own personal medical conditions and, and so forth. Did the polling take a look at any of these different paid family medical leave components and how those different components could impact return to work considerations for this prime age non-working group?
1: Yes, we looked in depth at each of those. Both. It's one thing to say, is this benefit important to you? It's Mm -hmm. another thing to say, will this benefit help you work? Yeah. Would you be working if you had this benefit? And we asked about each of the three main components of paid family medical leave, parental, family caregiving, and personal medical. So for those who say that they're not working because they're caring for a child, 39% said that if their last employer had offered them a paid parental leave benefit, they would still be working today. 45% said that if an employer offered them the benefit going forward, they would be much more likely to return to work in the future. Turning to family caregiving leave, we found that of those who are not working because they're caring for an ill child, family member, or an elderly adult, 46% said that if their last employer had offered them a paid family caregiving leave benefit, they would still be working today. 47% said that if a future employer offered them that benefit, they'd be much more likely to return to work. So that's basically about half of those who are not working because they're caring for an ill family, ill or elderly family member. And then lastly, those who are not working because of a personal health condition. About a third said that if their last employer had offered them a personal medical leave benefit like temporary disability, they would still be working today. And then 37% said that if another employer had offered them that benefit, they'd be much more likely to return to work going forward. So essentially our survey shows that paid family and medical leave across each of the three components would have kept people in the workforce in the first place, but would also help them go back to work Mm -hmm. going forward.
0: Yep. Ben, thank you again for going through the, the polling and these results. Really intriguing, important, and congratulations to, to you and your colleagues for putting in the legwork to generate these important findings. I have a, a related sort of next question for you. You know, we've been obviously speaking about the, the polling and the survey and, and, and these takeaways and the impact that an employer's paid family leave benefit time off packages can can sort of can mean with respect to worker retention, keeping existing employees satisfied, and then also bringing on new talent. Before we sort of pivot over to you know federal state activity and, and, and the like, just sort of any any final thoughts, you know, thinking about the polling and the survey as a whole on you know for employers in various industries that are out there thinking and and, and wondering what they can do to bring workers back to the workforce to improve you know some of their headcount numbers if they they have deficiencies any thoughts on on what these leave and these results sort of might mean uh, in that space
1: yes so i i would suggest to employers our current economy we are facing challenges with we still have low immigration levels more baby boomers are retiring and so that leaves these 24 million americans who are not working and are in their prime age years and if an employer is trying to attract workers to fill jobs, paid family leave can be one benefit that really would help them stick out and retain workers. You know, for, I know for a lot of employers, offering paid leave may seem costly because it's, it is an extra benefit that comes with the cost. But it does bring a great a benefit and value to the employer with both retention, keeping the workers you have, but also attracting workers in a highly competitive labor market that is very challenging for employers today. And so I'd recommend to employers to look at both paid family leave, but also ways to make your workplace more flexible. And that would allow a large chunk of those who are not working today to be able to enter into a new job.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, Ben. So clearly from what we've been been focusing on and talking through, and given the, the spotlight of paid family medical leave benefits from BPC's polling, can you give our listeners sort of an overview of the current paid family leave landscape in terms of mandates or, or voluntary programs, what have you, that are out there at the state level? You know, and and any sort of notes on you know what's going on in the space, how these offerings might differ from one state to the next, and, and so
1: forth. Sure. So currently, thirteen states and D.C. have what I refer to as a mandatory program, mm-hmm. a paid family leave program, where they establish a typically establish a social insurance program, impose a new payroll tax, and distribute benefits to workers. In many of those states, employers are able to have a private plan option that's approved by the state. But in those states, it's essentially either the worker can get it through the, the government or the employer is required to provide it on their own. So that's in 13 states. An additional eight states have, and this is really in just the past year have rolled out a voluntary approach to paid family medical leave where they rely on private insurance that help employers provide the benefit. So states like New Hampshire, Vermont, Virginia have enacted laws where essentially they make it legal for insurance companies to offer paid family leave as a benefit alongside temporary disability and without any kind of mandate, give employers the option to provide paid family leave using that product.
0: Wow. Yeah, that that is and, and it's really the numbers taking a step back because we're so in the weeds on the the what's the latest development. Ah, Maine passed its law, ah, Oregon's law is going online, Colorado's coming down the pipe in a few months. It's important, and, and your 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 comment there I think reminds us of this to take a step back and look at the landscape from a higher vantage point to see, you know, between the 13 states plus DC that have the mandatory. And the eight or so states that are adding the the voluntary insurance angle, we're getting close to half the states that have taken some step forward. We spoke earlier about baby steps forward, right? That have taken some step forward in getting paid family leave access to a greater number of individuals. So real, really important point there. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, and just five years ago, we were only at three or four states that had paid leave implemented. And now since 2020, we'll have an additional. Fifteen or so states that are rolling out
0: laws. Exactly, it's, it's, uh, it's happening quickly. Got to, got to grab on with both hands and enjoy the ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's what's happening at the state level, multi-state, nationwide employers navigating the the landscape and the patchwork, and as things change and evolve around them. Let's switch gears though to the federal level because there's also exciting things happening there. So, how might the existing state landscape that we just spoke about? inform the discussion, and potentially pave the way for federal paid family medical
1: leave? So I think there are a few things that the state landscape does. First is demonstrating the desire for paid family medical leave across the country, and that in itself I think is compelling for the federal government to provide a benefit and, and, and try to get ahead of this issue. The other is is that as states are continuing to provide their own benefits I believe the federal government should and want to play a role in this benefit going forward. The absence of a federal program or system and the decision by the government to essentially allow states to run with their own programs means that there is a lack of coordination across the country. And there's essentially what's turned into a patchwork policy where some states are providing the benefit, others aren't. And then states that are providing the benefit, often quite different from one another. We just talked about the difference between voluntary system versus a mandatory system. But even in the mandatory systems, they're quite different. They have different definitions of you know, what is a family, different standards for eligibility. And that often results in inequities across the country where a worker in Virginia might get a very different benefit from a worker in California who will get a different benefit from somebody in Maryland. And that, I think, is very compelling for the federal government to act, because not only is that often not fair for a worker in the United States, but it's also quite challenging to many employers as they're trying to figure out how to really navigate this complicated system.
0: Exactly. Ben, I think you hit the nail right right on the head. The lack of coordination is impactful in a meaningful way for both the worker and the employer. And, And so stepping in and getting some clarity at the federal level would resolve a lot of the confusion, a lot of the inconsistencies and inequities that you just mentioned, uh, certainly from my perspective. Let me ask you this. Relatedly, have any bills involving paid family medical leave been introduced at the federal level during the current legislative session that are worth noting? And then sort of a a part two to that, you you and I have spoken a bit in the past about the House paid leave legislative working group. Can you give our listeners just a high-level overview of what the group is, any recent activity, and BPC's involvement with this working group?
1: Sure. So in the current legislative session, there's been a mix of proposals that have been out there. There's been kind of the grander, bigger vision proposals that have been put out there for years, like Kristen Gillibrand and Rosa DeLauro's Family Act, which would be mm-hmm. a federal version of a social insurance model. But then there have been also more incremental reforms, like we talked about baby steps to try to get more paid leave to more people. Some are as small as using the NDA process to help expand access to federal parental leave that became law in 2019 to more federal employees. For example, there's been a proposal to allow military members who... Transition to, into uh, civilian roles with the federal government to allow their time in the military to accrue towards their eligibility for federal parental leave. Things like that are just small steps to help expand access to paid leave. Another policy, not necessarily paid leave, but it is a law that a legislative proposal that would expand access to FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act, and, and Job Protection. Uh, it's called the Fair Leave Act. So in the current FMLA If you and your spouse work for the same employer, you have to share the 12 weeks of job-protective leave with your spouse. And so this law would essentially update that so each spouse gets access to the full 12 weeks of leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So little little baby steps like that are in the works. In the meantime, the House Bipartisan Working Group that you mentioned, we've been uh, working very closely with them. It's co-chaired by uh, Representative Chrissy Houlihan, Democrat from Pennsylvania and Representative Stephanie Bice, Republican from Oklahoma. And their mission is really to find a bipartisan path forward on providing access to paid family and medical leave. And this year, they've spent their time engaging a wide range of stakeholders and really learning about the issue, trying to understand the challenges that large employers face, the challenges that workers face, the role that private insurers play. Learn politically, what it took to enact the FMLA, what would the coalition that they had to build to get that to become law. And in their next phase, which so they're wrapping up their first phase, this educational phase this year. And in their next phase, they look to more focus on policy development mm. and what could be either a single bipartisan solution or a package of solutions that would just increase access to leave for more people.
0: Man, that's great information and insights. And anytime I think we can hear the term bipartisan and paid family leave in the same sense, it's a step in the right direction because it is going to take a meeting of the minds and and compromises uh, from both sides to to get something this impactful across the finish line. So uh, really great insights. And I just want to say thank you for taking some time with us today, sharing updates on the Bipartisan Policy Center's really important work in the paid family medical leave space and your personal expertise in the area as well.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Josh. It's been great to talk to you. And I hope I always be able to provide some good information to your listeners.
0: Oh, ab- absolutely. You did, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. You're always welcome back. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to today's episode. We will see you next time.